This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to the Saving Grace podcast. We're so glad to have you listening. My name is Mika Gutemann, and I'm a producer of the podcast. Normally, I'm part of this from the other side of the glass in the studio control room at Grace. But today, I'm excited to be the one who gets to welcome you and our guest of the week. Before we jump into this week's interview, I wanted to tell you guys about something that we're really excited about. For a while now, we've been working on something that we are calling the Grace of God course. If you've been a listener of this podcast for a while, then you probably already know that grasping the depths of God's grace changes everything. And that is why we've created this new course entitled The Grace of God. The course is meant to serve as an introduction and a foundation for what this school and this podcast is all about. We want to share the truth about God's grace with as many people as possible, so we're offering this course for free. And the process is really simple. All you got to do is to go to gsot.edu slash graceofgod and register. Once you're registered, this nine-session course will be delivered weekly to your inbox. Each session features a teaching video from one of three fantastic theological scholars and includes a series of questions that you can use in your own personal study or with a small group. You're able to begin this course at the time of your choosing. The material is always available. All you need to do is sign up, and I know that you'll be glad that you did. Maybe this is something that is new to you, or perhaps you know someone else that you think this could be a big help to. So visit gsot.edu slash graceofgod today to begin your journey to discover the life-changing impact of God's amazing grace. We'll go ahead and put a link to this in the show notes as well for this episode. We're joined today by Pastor Jeremy Vance. Jeremy is a pastor and an author who lives in Wisconsin with his wife and four children. Jeremy and I were discussing here the the difference between the religious approach to faith and a a relational approach here in our last episode. And uh, today we're going to dive in a little bit more um, to Jeremy's new book, John, Jesus, and Me. And thanks for being back with us here, Jeremy. Hey, thanks for having me, McKay. I appreciate it. So, so Jeremy, you just wrote, wrote this book, and uh, would you tell us a little bit about what made you decide that you were going to write it and, uh, and why you chose this title? I think for Christians, a lot of Christians would love to talk to people about Jesus. I mean, for us who are committed followers of him, he's like the most important thing in our life. I mean, is there anything more important than Jesus in our lives as Christians? And yet, I think many Christians struggle with okay, so how do I actually talk to somebody about Jesus? How do, how do I go about doing that? And um, when I would talk to people about Jesus, and there seems to be some level of an interest, a lot of times I would say, oh, the Bible is like God's love letter to us. I mean, he, it's like he wrote it to us. And so I would kind of talk to them about um, if you're reading a love letter, how do you read it? And of course, it's you read it and you reread it. You want to really get to know it. And then I'd say, now take the Gospel of John and read it like God's love letter to you. And I'll say something like, and and read it like in a personal way. Like like if if you read John 3.16, which is a famous passage, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not die but have everlasting life. And instead of the word world in there, put your name in there. For God so loved Mikay, for God so loved Jeremy, for God so loved whoever is reading that verse. He loves me. 
that he sent his only son, that if I would just believe in him, I wouldn't die, but I'd have everlasting life. And read it that way. And so uh, that caused me to think, well, I send somebody off then and, you know, maybe point out where the Gospel of John is in a Bible or give them a Bible or whatever it is. And I have always sort of felt like, you know, I know the Spirit of God will work, but uh, I'd love to maybe guide them a little bit more through that. So I actually took up the challenge myself that I tell people to do, read it like a love letter. And I went back to the Gospel of John. I read it, and I mean, it was just so rich again for me. And it just spurred me on to say, I think I want to... I want to help somebody understand it a little bit more and interact with it a little bit more. So I took the Gospel of John, took 11 passages out of the Gospel of John, and uh, elaborated on them, helped to understand it a little bit better. And those passages that speak of Jesus or hear what he has to say, uh, how he interacts with people, um, how he can have an impact on our life, And so you've got the Gospel of John, you've got Jesus, and then in the book I have times when you stop reading through it and you just reflect and you just sort of think about your own life, you think about um, maybe where you're at with Jesus, and and it just gives little spots where you can just journal a little bit in there. And um, so that's the me part, meaning John, Gospel of John, Jesus, and let me reflect on my life, let me reflect on me a bit as I'm going through it. So the title, John, Jesus, in Me, has to do with uh, just that, the gospel of John, Jesus, and our own lives. That's good. As you're talking about this kind of reading the Bible as a love letter, I'm sure um, some people might have might have heard that concept, and it might still, they might feel like they're in a place where the Bible has become something that, that feels heavy for them to pick up, or at least heavy to think of in, in that way. How do I really get started feeling that way about the Bible? Do you think that's something that just, it comes when we try and work on reading it that way, or is it something we have to kind of discover first? Or how, do, how would you advise someone who's, who's kind of struggling with, kind of daring to, to approach the Bible with, with, in that way again? Well, I think if you're just out there and you're like, oh, I got to know God, or I've, you know, what is the Bible all about? And you just open up to Genesis chapter one and you just think, well, you're going to read it like any other book. You're just going to start at the beginning and just kind of read through it. And the reality is, and probably many of those, of those listening to this podcast would know this, but let me just be clear about it. The, the Bible is, consists of 66 individual books. Uh, divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, uh, and, and the reality is each book is connected to the other. It's, it's one complete big unit, and yet they're all individual books, which is absolutely amazing that God, over the course of a long time, like I forget how many years, like thousands of years or couple, 1,500, I forget the exact number, but, but uh, you know, put all these books together from different cultures and everything. Um, And so a person would just kind of dive into Genesis, and by the time you get to about Genesis 12 and 13, be so lost and just like, I don't know what I'm, what this is all about. And then you, you press on into, you know, Exodus and Leviticus, Leviticus, what, you know, and that's just some very challenging things if, if you're unfamiliar Mm -hmm. with the scriptures at all. And yet, there are certain books in the Bible that seem to be less challenging to understand. And I think the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are, 
are among them. I think uh, the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote can be challenging, but, but if you take your time, you can understand them. And, uh, and so to be guided, um, I think of uh, Philip going up to the Ethiopian man, and uh, he's reading out of the Old Testament, and Philip asks him, do you know what you're reading? He says, I would need a teacher. You know, I, I'm, I don't have a teacher. Well, I think God gives teachers in order for us to understand the scriptures. And teachers come in different forms. Uh, I think reading a book like John Jesus in me, it can be a teacher for us. It can help us to understand it a little bit more clearly. So when I point people to reading the Bible, I don't say, hey, read the Bible. I say, um, why don't you start in the Gospel of John, and I'll help them find where that's at. Um, because I think the Gospel of John is a very appropriate book to start in because you get right at Jesus and the central focus of our faith. And you can really get to know him well if you just take your time and, and read it. So John Jesus in me helps you to go through. It doesn't cover the entire Gospel of, of John, but it takes key passages mm-hmm. out of the Gospel of John all the way through, starting in John chapter 3 and ending actually uh, at the end when when you're to go into the world and and bring the gospel to the world. So let's jump into it a little bit. And early in the book, one of the first things you get to is is Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus mm-hmm. and talking about the concept of being born again. Yep. I'm sure for a lot of people, especially if you come from somewhat of a Christian background, this term of being born again is something they've probably come across before, something they might feel like they, they know of. But maybe with time, that's a concept we don't really fully understand. You know, why is that really that important? Maybe it's hard for me to grasp. Do, do you find that something that people struggle to, to wrap their heads around? Well, Nicodemus asked the question. Nicodemus was known as a brilliant man, in a brilliant man who understood the scriptures. Um, and he wrestled with it. And so... I don't think it's wrong for us to wrestle with being born again. And then you and then you dive into the concept of wait, that means God lives in me. God the Holy Spirit is sent to live inside of me. Uh, the the creator of the universe in us. Uh, that is pretty profound if you ponder it a little bit. Um, and and yet it's true. The scripture does teach that he does send his Holy Spirit into us, and we are born of the Spirit. So there's physical birth, which is what Jesus was talking about, born of water, and born of the Spirit. There's, there is a spiritual birth, and that when we believe in him, he sends his Spirit to live within us, the Holy Spirit of God to live within us. Yeah, that can be something that people go, oh man, that's... That's pretty hard to understand, but, you know, it's true. The scriptures teach that it's true. And there's implications to that. In order to be sure of our eternal destiny, that we're going to be with God forever, the Bible teaches that he seals us with his Holy Spirit, that, our, that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. And once we have the Holy Spirit in us, nowhere in the scriptures does it teach that he leaves us nowhere in the new testament does he does it teach that he leaves us that that he is in us always now we may not nurture that relationship with him we may push down the spirit's work in our lives we may not allow him to draw us close to him that's why i think the apostle paul says in ephesians 5:18 i think it is where he says um 
do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, or be being filled with the Spirit. Christians, be filled with the Spirit. You're, he's in you. Now nurture that relationship. Grow that relationship with Him inside of you. So, um, so I think, well, I know, uh, because the Spirit is in us, it, it guarantees our eternal life. We we enter into this relationship with God because the Holy Spirit is in us. And then we can grow in this relationship with God because the Holy Spirit is in us. Because he sends, sends his Spirit in us, we can actually mature in him. And it's not something that we do by the flesh, by our own strength. We do it on, uh, as a reliance with a, with a reliance on him a reliance on the Spirit of God working in us. So we grow in that relationship because we're born again. And, and then, like I said, we're, we're secured for eternity because the Holy Spirit is in us. So it is a concept that even Nicodemus, a brilliant man, struggled with. Um, Jesus dives right into explaining it to him. says, hey, you know, we can't see the Spirit, but we can see the effects of the Spirit. The wind, move, you know, as the wind moves the trees, uh, that we can actually see. Okay, I can't see, you know, Mikay, I've got the Spirit in me. Can you see, see it? No, you can't actually see it. But you can see the effects that the Spirit has on my life. You can see that he, boy, I was different now. You know, because of his work in my life, he's he's growing me. He's making me more Christ-like, and um, so you can see the effects of the Spirit in people's lives. And that's a, that's a good perspective you bring up that I don't think I've actually thought about before in Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. In a way, you know, the Bible actually gives us an example right there as he's sharing the story about a person who really probably, you know, should have been able to understand quite a bit, but even he wrestled with this concept when he was introduced to it. So in a way we can probably take comfort in, in knowing that it, it's okay that we, like, we rest, if we wrestle with this, like you mentioned, that's that's an encouraging concept. I like that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. There's a lot of things we can wrestle with mm-hmm. uh, and continue to grow in in our relationship mm-hmm. with the Lord, and uh, that may be one of them. I could be wrong, but I think when we do wrestle with something like that, that it seems like our society now is one that is so focused on really being able to fully understand something in order for it to be important to us. Or if it's important to us, we want to be able to understand it. I think things out of our own performance seems to be something that's easier for people to get. Like we can wrap our heads around those things and we just skip past this part about justification, as we would call it, and just jump into the sanctification parts that maybe are easier to understand. Mm -hmm. Do you think there are repercussions to that that you see if if people don't grasp this born-again concept? Well, let me start by um, addressing mysteries. There are a lot of mysteries about God and about faith and about um, our relationship. It's at some level, it is beyond comprehension, our ability to comprehend. Like the idea of the Trinity, you know, three persons, one being, it's a challenging thought. So many things in the scriptures that even the concept of being born again or the mystery of being born again, maybe, maybe we would have to conclude it's really beyond our ability to completely grasp what that means. The reality is, I think sometimes in our own lives, we, our ultimate authority is our ability to reason or our ability to make sense of it all. I think God wants to be our ultimate authority. I think he wants the scriptures to be our ultimate authority and not our ability to figure it all out. 
it's a part of our process. As a matter of fact, I think throughout all of eternity, one of the joys of eternity will be to continue to learn and continue to grow in our understanding of the infinite God who ha- you know, who is can be known. So I think part of our fun in eternity will be to continue to grow in our understanding and knowledge of who the Lord is. Um, so there's going to be, in some sense, probably mystery forever in a good way that we get to keep discovering. Right. But God is our ultimate authority and his word is our alter- ultimate authority. And so we don't, we don't have to um, know everything. But I think you're right. I think we, we tend to want to jump to that which is comfortable, you know, that which we can measure, that, that which we can um, check off the boxes to say, yep, um, I know I'm doing this because check, 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 instead of that component of relating to the, to the Lord and learning through relationship with him. Just like uh, I'm married, you're married, uh, I think throughout my life I'm going to continue to get to know my wife. I'm going to continue to go, wow, you know, I, I, I never knew that about you, or this is something kind of cool, or, or this is a better way for me to relate to you and, and you to relate to me. And, and, and it's like that with the Lord, where we, we, um, it's some, it stays a bit mysterious, and that's okay. We have to be okay with that. And so it's not about the doing, it's about the relating. Another part later in the book that you talked about that stood out to me was you discussed that it's possible for us to pursue God in a, basically a self-centered way. And you used an example from John 6 where, where Jesus kind of accuses the crowd of, of only being around him because he fed them and them getting to experience his, his miracles kind of that he does for them. Is this, if we can call it a self-centered searching for God, something that, that you feel like you encounter today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I definitely definitely encounter it. Um, you know, it's we kind of live in a consumer world, and it's all about what do I get? What do I get? Mm-hmm. What do I get for this? And uh, I think people, many people, even the offer of the gospel oftentimes is, you know, hey, if you trust Jesus, it's going to be wonderful for you. And if, and I think it's a correct thing to say. He does have a wonderful plan for your life, which is an old statement from Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, but the reality is his wonderful plan may not be your wonderful plan meaning he may want to bring you through some pretty hard stuff. Um, he may bring you through some major trials to make you more complete. And But I think that so many times people think, well, if I trust Jesus, I get a bed of roses. I get, I get this wonderful, beautiful, great life, and he's just going to give me things that are just going to be so great. And it is a selfish mentality. And again, if it's about entering into a relationship with him that starts today and lasts forever— if you or, or I enter into a relationship with uh, selfish intent, uh, it's what I get out of this relationship. It's all about what I get. That relationship is not going to be very rich. It's not going to be very deep. As a matter of fact, it probably won't be healthy at all. And I'm afraid that so often people offer the gospel, the good news, with putting in there this false understanding of a healthy relationship with the Lord, that it's all about what I get from him. And we do get a lot from him, but it's really about entering into this relationship with him where there's, I invest in it. He totally invests in me. He, he totally grows me. Mm. And, and yet it's 
it's this moving me toward or moving you toward this wonderful give and take in the relationship. It's this, it's this I want to live for you, Lord, not for me. I, I, want, I want to know you and, and help other people to know you and serve you and, instead of how you serve me. So, yeah, I think people can can go into a relationship with Jesus with wrong motives, and I think we just have to be careful not to offer, as I, as I say in the book, bread that has empty carbs. It doesn't really last. You know, mm-hmm. it might taste really good at the beginning, but that kind of a relationship never really has lasting power. You need that nutritious relationship where where it's rich and deep, and I'm investing in my relationship. I want to... I want to submit my life to you as my Lord and my Savior. Well, you are my Savior, and I want, to, I want to follow you as my Lord. But for a lot of people in our world that is so maybe self-absorbed or so caught up about me, 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 it's all about what I want, um, do you think that's something that they're looking for, this kind of relationship with, with Christ? Is that something that, that appeals to people still, even though they, they really maybe think that they are looking for something different? We are relational beings. God made us to relate. He made us to relate to each other. He made us to relate to him. That's, what, that's why he has us here, to have that relationship with him. I think that our society and our upbringings have, have influenced us to be a bit selfish. I think our, our, actually, if I would even go before that, I think just our sin nature makes us selfish. But I do think that we're also made to, we want to be known and we want to know. We, we want people to know us. We want people to, to allow us to know them. And that is at the heart of that relationship with the Lord. Lord, where we come to a point where we say, I, ultimately, I want you, Lord, to know me. And I know you know me, but I mean in a relational way where I'm, I'm not hiding things from you. I'm not keeping this little section of my life away from you, but you can have all the other part of my life where we, we really, I think, deep down inside want him to know us completely. We want to be known completely, whether that's by God or by another person. And, uh, and I know deep down in all of us, we do want to be known by God. We may not know that. We may not be able to articulate that. But I think a part of sharing Jesus with the world is that idea of he wants to know you in a personal way, and he wants you to know him in a personal way. And again, going back to John Jesus and me, that's the motivation behind helping people understand. You get to enter into this relationship that's a free gift. You don't. It's something that he gives to you, and that what we talked about, being born again, that he'll send the Spirit into you if you just believe. And then you get to invest in this relationship where you can actually grow deeper in your, in your relationship with him. So you can actually be fully known by him in a personal way. Even though God knows everything, I'm talking about a relationship way. And, and you can grow to know him and continue to grow to know him and just see how absolutely wonderful he is. Let, let me just say, um, there's a passage in John 10:10. 10, 10, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly or have it abundantly. And I have a definition of the abundant life that might be appropriate for this time. Uh, I think when Jesus says, 
that you might have this abundant life. Uh, the abundant life that Jesus offers is um, that we can actually see him actively working in our lives as we choose to obey and follow him. When we see the Lord working in our lives, when we choose to obey and follow him, uh, it'll be, it, it's abundant. So you can go, you can be on, a, you know, having great things happening, exciting things happening, and you're obeying him and you're following him and it's just wonderful. And he's like, this is the abundant life I'm living. You know, it's so great. On the other hand, you can experience tragedy that is very, very hard. Um, and yet you choose to obey and follow him in the midst of the tragedy and you see him actively working in your life, even in the hardest of times. And I have had people who say, I just am living such an abundant life, even though it's such a hard thing I'm going through. So seeing him actively working as I choose to obey and follow him, I think is the definition of what that abundant life is all about. And I think that brings us to another question I had to you from reading your book. And at one point you mentioned that sometimes people tend to look at allowing God into our lives as, as something that is, that is confining and maybe even oppressive. Mm -hmm. You know, well, if I do that, then won't I have to abide by all these rules or I basically have to, you know, conform my life to something I don't want? Um, but you, you say that we really should understand it as the opposite of that. And tell me what you mean by that. Well, just, I think, yeah, what I'm saying, I, I do, you know, so often when you talk to people who, who don't know Jesus as their Savior, and they do have sort of this religion mindset, like, oh, well, that means that I've got to do A, B, C, and D. If you talk to me about Jesus or about Christianity, what you're really telling me to, about is a set of rules or rituals or things that I have to stop doing and start doing. And that's just not true. I, I love a friend of mine who was saved many, many years ago, uh, the guy that led him to to Jesus. He said, so if I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior, do I got to stop drinking? And do I got to stop smoking? And do I got to, you know, stop carousing? And the guy said to him, no, you don't, but you will. <laughs> and, and that kind of threw him off a little bit. And he trusted Jesus as his Savior. And that was many years ago. He's an elder in our church today, and he absolutely loves the Lord, and he's, he's not under the influence of alcohol. He doesn't smoke. Uh, he's been married for—he's got grandkids, and he's been married for a long, long time. But the point is, is um, when we offer people the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, I just think a part of their spiritual blindness is what he's trying to do is control my life. That, that what you're trying to do, either you're trying to control my life by trying to convince me to follow some religion— or uh, if I do follow this religion, it's going to control my life, and I don't want anybody to control my life. I want my own freedom, or I, I don't want what you're offering because, I'm I, like you say, it'll confine me. It'll, it'll cause me to not have the freedom that I want. Well, the reality is Jesus came to set us free, free from, free from the shackles that we're in, and people are blind to that. The reality is when, when you put your faith in Jesus— he leads us to greener pastures. You know, he, he is the one who makes our life right. And we are, those who don't have Jesus are uh, under the influence of the thief, uh, Satan himself. Uh, they, won't, they won't admit that. They, won't, they don't even know it. Uh, they're, they're blind to that. But the fact of the matter is, um, we all have a master who's going to be yours. 
you know, you think it's going to be just you. The facts are Jesus wants to be our master, and he wants to set us free from the power of sin in our life. He wants to set us free from the lies that we live. Uh, uh, He wants to bring the truth into our life, and he wants us. His whole desire is that we would be set free, uh, free from the things that hold us. And lost people are lost. They're in the darkness. They're not free. They fight against it, but the fact of the matter is true freedom comes when you know Jesus as your Savior and you follow him as your Lord. Let me bring up one last aspect of your book to, to end with here today. There was a part there that I just thought was, was really valuable. Towards the end of the book, you talk about how much Jesus endured for our sake. And yet, in the midst of this, he was able to stand firm and be faithful, basically no matter what was thrown at him, no matter what pain he had to go through, because he knew who he was, and he knew what his mission was. And we probably won't have to go through quite the challenges that Jesus did, hopefully. Um, but it can still be hard to be faithful in the midst of what the world um, can do to us, the, the things we have to go through. And it can make life pretty challenging sometimes. So do you think we can draw a parallel here in uh, it being important for us to know who we are mm. and what our mission is? Yes. Yeah, I think many people are searching for their identity. I think there's a ton of people that are just lost. They just kind of float along. Uh, and Jesus wants us to have him as our, our identity. That, um, you know, if, if I were to say, so describe to me who you are, could you say, well, I'm bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That he, he died for me. And he rescued me out of my sin and darkness. And he gave to me a new life. I'm a new creature in him. And I get to live with him every day. I get to know him in a personal way. And, you know, sometimes I, I drift away from my relationship with him. But if I keep short accounts and I can come back to him and he receives me back, and now I get to live for him and for his mission. Here's the, here's the fact of our life, McKay. You and I were made for eternity. We were made to have a role in God's eternal plan. And this, what we're living right now, is preparation for that eternity. So I have an eternal purpose that God is unveiling for me every day. He's growing me in that every day. I get to live for Jesus. My identity is Jesus. I know your identity is Jesus, that we get to to know him and and to grow in his calling on our life. And we get to walk by faith and trusting him every single day. I know that his plan for my life now has an effect on my eternity. Dr. Shea, Fred Shea, who uh, is a mentor of mine, he's a part of this Free Grace Alliance, and um, I know you know him from the the seminary, and uh, I've known him for many, many years, and I'm sure he probably wasn't the first to coin the phrase, but I get it from him, which is, right now counts forever, and that's true. Our lives count forever, and Jesus wants to be our identity, and he he calls us to live for him. He was set on his mission. He knew his mission clearly, and we can know our mission clearly, and it's as simple as, I live for my Savior Jesus. That's my mission. 
and he'll unfold that. You, you're wired to do things like tech stuff. I'm not really a tech guy, but I'm wired for different stuff. And, and he has a role for me and he has a role for you. And what you're doing and what I'm doing right now counts for eternity. And he c- continues to grow us in that direction. And I'm excited to see what he's got for me for eternity. I'm sure you are too. And if somebody's listening out there and they feel a little little like, boy, this is all new, or I never really thought about God has an eternal plan for me and a, a role for me to play throughout eternity, um, this is a great opportunity for them to consider, you know, Jesus really does love you. He really does love you. And he really wants you to know him personally. And he's made a way for that. And that is through dying for you to, to pay the wage of your sin. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So it's Jesus who paid the wage. He paid the payment for our sin so that we might have eternal life with him. And you just got to put your faith in Jesus, trust that he died for you, and receive the gift of eternal life that he offers. And the only reason why he can offer it to you is because he's alive. On on that first Easter Sunday morning, he rose from the dead, and he offers that free gift of eternal life. And like I've said over and over again uh, throughout my life, and I, I think I said it in the last session we were talking about, the definition of eternal life is a relationship with him that starts today and lasts forever. And today is the day that Jesus wants to save you and he wants to give you that eternal life and that, e- that eternal hope and that eternal purpose for your life. And all you got to do is come to him in faith and trust him. And then you enter into that relationship of faith, just trusting him every day to grow you and that you might know him more and that you might know his calling on your life more and more. And um, not as a plug, but just as a reality, the motivation behind John Jesus and me is to get you started in that relationship, to get you started in understanding who Jesus is in that relationship that he really wants to have with you. So that's why I wrote the book, so that people could, could really, really know that Jesus does love them and he wants to have a relationship with them. And thanks for, for bringing us back to that, because I, I really do want to encourage you listeners to to check out this book. If if what we were talking about here today and in the last session uh, appeals to you, then then this is something that, that you can find out more about. And this book is a great tool to do that. So check out John, Jesus, and Me by Jeremy Vance. We'll go ahead and include a link here in our podcast notes as well. Yeah, Jeremy, I just want to thank you for coming on, taking time for us here in the middle of a busy conference. And uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you. It's been an honor. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for the ministry that you're doing and, and uh, for the ministry of, um, of the school and, and all of the branches of, of uh, Grace School of Theology. I just think it's wonderful what God is doing through you guys. And I love this podcast idea. So again, it's an honor and thanks for asking me to be a part of it. Hopefully we can have you back in the future. If you want to hear more about Grace School of Theology, you can check out our website. It's G-S-O-T. We want to keep encouraging you as listeners to to write in with suggestions and questions about things you would love us to talk about on the podcast. We love interacting with you, and you can always get a hold of us. The easiest way is probably to email savinggrace at gsot.edu, savinggrace at gsot.edu. You have been listening to Saving Grace. 
a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. <laughs>